Well, Solomon's Temple. We want to learn. We're going to, our purpose is, I'm going to give you an overview of, just of this in a second. But our purpose tonight is to just get an overview of get an overview of what Solomon's temple looked like according to some of the descriptions here without reading every verse. Okay, so our purpose is to get an overview mentally and visually what this temple looked like because obviously we're meant to know what it looked like if God took so much time to describe it. And then we're going to apply it with a basic spiritual principle and some points that are connected to that, okay? So a visual of this actual temple, and then the spiritual lesson. That's basically what we're going to do tonight. Here we go. So, uh, 1 Kings 6, it says, It came to pass, verse 1, here we go. 1 Kings 6, verse 1, It came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month Ziph, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. Notice now verse 37 of this chapter. Verse 37. In the fourth year was the foundation of the house of the Lord laid in the month Ziph. And in the eleventh year, in the month Bull, which is the eighth month, was the house finished throughout all the parts thereof, and according to all the fashion of it, so he was, so was he seven years in building it. Notice chapter 7. There's some other things going on. Part of it in chapter 7 is his palace. We're not going to get into that tonight. But notice chapter, I'm sorry, yes, chapter 7, uh, verse 51. Chapter 7, verse 51, the last part. This is some things that are not part of the structural part of the house but some of the vessels, some of the other things that were um, primarily outside of it. Chapter 7, 51, So was ended all the work that King Solomon made for the house of the Lord. And Solomon brought in the things which David his father had dedicated, even the silver and the gold and the vessels did he put among the treasures of the house of the Lord. So this these two chapters, we'll look at. We'll, we'll go back to them in just a minute. But again, overview of Solomon's life. The way God describes it in First Kings is the first four chapters are basically him coming to power and settling in. Then his construction projects, <laughs> like we're looking at tonight, he has he was told to build God a house, and that's what he's working on here, and he's doing it according to God's plan. That's part of his construction project. He had another construction project, which was his own house. It was a huge palace, and it had a court. It's amazing. Um, we may or may not get into that. Then he had some financial issues related to that. He dedicated the house of the Lord. Well, look at that. And it has this prayer saying, God, we did this. Now this is indeed for you. It belongs to you. Even though we did all this work, it belongs to you. In fact, you gave us the energy to do the work, and you, you, you marbled the, the uh, mountains with um, gold and silver and or so we can take it out and put it in anyways. It's all of you anyways, God. That's what he says, basically. And so he dedicates it to the Lord. That's part of the construction projects. And then somebody comes to prove him, Queen of Sheba. We'll look at that. And then we can look at some of, the, some of his gigantic prophets that he has. Uh, incredibly um, wealthy. And then some of the problems, we'll look at that some other time in the last chapter. But let's go ahead and go to uh, uh, 
Well, I got the clicker. What am I saying here? <laughs> Just going to blame Iden here. All right, there's a quick overview of the area. I want to look at this here. Uh, survey of Solomon's Temple. This is us tonight. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Um, I should probably stand right here. It's a little easier. So this is, again, all right, so nobody knows exactly what it looked like, but we get the gist of it, okay? There are some details we're like, we're not sure about. So here's a thing. This was, I believe it was Rose Bible Publishing and Charts. They do pretty detailed stuff. I think it's pretty accurate. There's a few little details I'm not sure about on this, but overall, this is what it looked like. This is called a cross-section. If some of you are like looking at this, like, what's wrong with this thing? It looks like an unfinished Lego building. It's not. What they did is the whole, this would be the outside of it, and it's got cut. It's cut so you could see inside. It's called a cross-section. And so let's just walk through some of these things because, again, let's just look at some of the little features. I'm not going to stay long time on any one thing. I'm going to try to cruise through it. We'll, we, will over, we will skip some stuff and then kind of bring it to a spiritual principle. Okay, so here we go. Here is the basic layout. The basic layout was, he told us the size here. Um, verse 2, the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, the length thereof was three score cubits. How many cubits is that? What's three score? Huh? 60 cubits. We're like, yeah, 60 cubits. What's that? All right, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, 60 cubits by the breadth, that's how wide it was, was 20 cubits, and the height thereof, 30 cubits. Okay, so I wanted to put a quick little thing on the screen, but here's what you can do with cubits to help you. Just as when you're reading your Bible, because I know you're the American mind, you're like, well, okay, I've got to convert this. Where's my Bible dictionary? This is a quick, easy way to figure out cubits. Cubits are about 18 inches, okay? So what you can do is this. Whatever the cubic is, if you add... Um, half of that number, it's feet. If you subtract half of that number, it's yards. So the first number we are given was the length of this temple. It says it's 63 score cubits. So if I add half of 60, that's how many feet it is. So how many feet long is it? 90. So if I'm like, God, 90, I don't know what 90, what's 90 feet? But the football players... We're like, wait, I know what a yard is. Yards are like, like from here to Iden's a first down. So if I said 60 cubits, then you just do half of it and it's yards. So how many yards long is it? 30 yards. So you can be like, that's three first downs. That's a little less than half the football field. Okay, I know how, I know how long it is. That's what you can do. Look, I'm excited about this stuff. That's how I think. I think in yards primarily. Okay, so that's about it right there, 30 yards there, okay. And then it tells that the porch was actually, see, I don't know that this porch is exactly accurate the way it's described here, but anyways. Um, how wide is it? It says it's uh, 20 cubits wide, so it's 10 yards wide or it's 30 feet wide. So actually 30 feet is about here to here. It's about 30 feet as wide as this right here. So it was this wide and then you know, another 90, 90 feet long, and then it went up uh, 45 feet. Because what does it say here? It says it is the height there of 30 cubits. So add half of that number, and that's feet. So it's 45 feet tall. It's pretty tall. 
It wasn't, it wasn't like a, you're like, man, God didn't build a mega church. No, this is different. This is different. They had, a, they had an inner court and they had another couple of at least one other court that where people could accommodate assembling and you can still hear teaching and all that. But some of the particular things that were done were just a little different than church, okay? That's giving you an idea of the floor plan, the layout, the size. The, there was a, it says a porch, okay? I don't think this is accurate on the porch. The pillars are but it said there was a porch that went out. What says it right there in verse 4? The porch of the temple of the house, 20 cubits was the length. So it actually was like 10 yards out. So the porch was like from this wall to here out, but it was only about five yards wide. One, two, three, four, five. So it's like from this pillar to here, this was a porch like this. Okay, so you're coming to the house of the Lord, and then you pass these. They were, I believe they were freestanding pillars, those things right there. They had names to them. You passed that, well, the priest did, not just you. <laughs> and uh, you went in, okay? And then, you, and then you went into the holy place, and there was a holy of holy places, okay? So they went like this. They had come through. There was actually a porch somehow like this. Then they went through the folding doors beautifully. It was gold-plated in there. And then they went into another holy of holy places. So the idea is pretty, just, just as a pause right there, you know, it's God, God, whenever he had something like this, uh, if you notice kind of the design here, he's creating a transitional moment as you're getting to something important. Okay, this is an important place. This is very important because God manifested his presence there and only one person was allowed to go in there once a year. When you go to something important, it's good to kind of have some transitional time, transitional thought. You know, I wish we had a foyer. Best we have is a little porch out here, okay? It's better than nothing. You know, it's good to have a, a porch or some kind of transitional space before you go into a building because what it does is it, you kind of have to re, it kind of keys you into, all right, get my mind clear, all right, I'm not in there yet, but I'm not in the parking lot either. And then also, you know, you wipe your feet off, you know. It's time to transition your mind, your thoughts, your mood, and wipe your feet off, all right. So they didn't go from dirt into there. There was a transitional spot. So it's interesting how God builds here. Notice verse 4, the window. Windows of narrow lights. Now we think of windows, we're just like, yeah, it's a window. Somehow, they were. They, I think the other scripture says that they were up higher, and so you see some windows like this. Again, th this wall's gone. You have the cross section, so there's these windows like this. And I believe it was the other, maybe first or second Chronicles describes the. They were light against light, okay, and they're higher, so that. You know, they're not like lower where people are peeking around. It's up there to where you need the light, but nobody's going to be peeking in there. But, but it, it's just amazing. Just little tidbits of wisdom of how God does this, okay? Here's some good things about that, those windows of light up there. It's not actual filaments going like that. It's open. So, therefore, you have some, something that everybody likes, and I know the priests would like, ventilation. Got to have the vent. The hot air rises, and the perfect time to escape is as it gets to the top, like that. Hot air rises, hot air rises, and just let it vent to the top like that. So it's actually the lights are actually to help ventilate, so these guys aren't passing out in there, you know. And there's incense burning and all that, so it's great. And the ventilation it probably helps with the, the smell part, but also fresh air because it'll probably escape. The air is coming through the doors or the bottom of the doors, or it could just be going across. Depends on how the wind is. So you have these lights, so there's wisdom in that for ventilation. 
But there's also wisdom in it in another thing. I just want you to see little points of God's wisdom. Did you know, like, if you have hard light shining only on one side, if you have light shining on one side, especially if there was gold on the other side, it's like it starts kind of being blinding, like that. And it'll even be blinding from that end. But if you have light against light, it helps diffuse it and balance it for your eyes. You realize that? notice like maybe this this is just an example for me I'm like sometimes we're in our room and my wife and I we might watch like a, a something a DVD or something we'll watch it on our computer in our room and if I turn off the lights I'm just man, like this so I'll literally have our bathroom light just turn it up a little bit and close the door a little bit and it it balances it for my eyes and it's just a perfect balance and God did that with his house you know all this is gold on the inside so it would have been like really really bright there, then reflecting off here. But if you have it balanced out, it's a perfect um, natural uh, illuminating. So there's his windows with wisdom. God has that built. Verse 5 talks about these chambers. These are storage areas. Verse 5, look at that. Of chapter 6, against the wall of the house, he built chambers. Round about the house, against the wall, round about at both the temple and, and of the oracle. That means it was the whole side and the back side. The oracle is referring to this last section. The Holy of Holies. What do you think those were for? Maybe the kids would know. What do you think those chambers were for? Why would he build these chambers? I think I can click to the next picture here. Not that. Not that. One of these times. I didn't get it in there. Oh, well. We'll go back. These chambers entered in the middle and then there was a stair at some point this is again the lower half here's the upper half the middle section and the third section it was actually wider as you got up there higher they needed some storage they needed things for the treasures that David had given and the treasures that may, would come in when people are um, people are giving and offerings Solomon made sure that there were secure places to put that did you know I was talking to a pastor or a guy recently? I said, we do our best here at this church, even though we're a small church, to handle the offerings properly. You know, we have even those two boys that are taking up the offering. One of the other ushers go back there, and there's a place that's safely secured until it's counted. And when it's counted, it's safely transported and safely deposited in a bank. And, um, and we have two guys that are counters. Nobody counts by themselves. And there's just some checkpoints like that. And so... I noticed that somebody told me this a few years ago, and I told somebody else, when people, in general, as a rule, if people see that God's treasures are being handled wisely and safely, it increases confidence in you to keep continue to giving. But if it looks flippant and it's not show, know where this is going and not sure what's happening there, it makes people hesitate. Even though out of duty you ought to give for the Lord, I get it. But it helps increase confidence. I think this would increase confidence when people come to the temple. They're like, man, if I put a treasure in there, it's getting behind concrete or stone. And it's getting taken care of for God's house. Of course, they may have had things in here like some of the priest's garments. They certainly had things like um, um, the basins and the shovels and stuff. Some of the garments. Built the chambers. Next thing, notice here that... Um, Verse 11, while he's in the middle of building this, look what happens while he's in the middle of his building project. Verse 11, the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, 
concerning this house which thou art in building, that thou wilt walk in my statutes and execute my judgments and keep all my commandments to walk in them, then will I perform my word with thee, which I spake unto David thy father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the house and finished it. What's happening? What's happening to Solomon is what we wish would happen to us sometimes. He's in the middle of this project and he's going, of course, he's overseeing it, but he's not done with it yet and God's word comes to him to encourage him right in the middle of it. He had already talked to him about it, but he's building and now God says, hey, I see this. You keep your, the thing you're building. If you, if you continue to walk in my, you continue to obey me and follow my ways, I will, um, I will bless you. Then will I perform my word with thee, which I spake unto David thy father. I'll dwell among the children of Israel. Now, what, what's happening is when they, when as a nation forsook him, he forsook them in the sense of not blessing them and the things that are going on with the house. His greater covenant with Israel is not forsaken, but this one Davidic covenant would be. You see, God has some conditional covenants and unconditional covenants. You have to discern them. depends on what you're reading. Salvation is an unconditional covenant. You believe, you're saved. And it's not like, well, if I stop believing or I stop obeying, no, you're saved. God's covenant to Abraham was unconditional. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. He didn't say if with Abraham. But later on, among the children of Israel, some of these smaller covenants, he says, if you do this, then I'll do this. But if you stop, then I'm going to stop. So here it is. What the greater point is, Solomon's moving. He's doing work. And God says, hey, I got something to tell you. That's great. You, you keep following my ways. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless what's happening here. Isn't that sometimes what we need? I realize that you need that and that I need that. Even though a person's engaged in something good, a good work, and they're in the middle of it, they still need encouragement. I realize as a pastor to you, to our teachers, to the people in this church, even though somebody seems like they're doing good, they're in a good work, that doesn't mean it's like no maintenance. It's like, hey, encourage them. God came to encourage Solomon in the middle of his work. People need encouraging. They need spiritual uh, building up, so to speak, even in these types of things. All right, verse 22, he talks about the oracle. Pardon me, verse uh, 16. He built 20 cubits on the sides of the house, both the floor and the walls and the, with boards of cedar. He built even them for it within, even for the oracle, for the, even for the most holy place. Look at, I'm going to go down here. Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. The oracle in the forepart was 20 cubits in length and 20 cubits in breadth and 20 cubits in the height thereof. And he overlaid it with pure gold, and so covered the altar, which was of cedar. So we're talking about this innermost plot, part. All right, kids, 20 cubits. How many feet was it? Huh? 30 feet cubed. Does that remind you of something else special that God's building? You know, he's preparing a place that's cubed. Yeah, this is a very special place in Revelation, and it's about 1,500 miles cubed. The New Jerusalem, the heavenly city, bride that will come out of heaven. Special places that God's building here, or a special part of His house is cubed like that. It's, it's, it's a, that's tall. That's, very, that's pretty tall. Um, I skipped over something on accident. Look at verse 18. 
The cedar of the house within was carved with knops and open flowers. All was cedar. There was no stone seen. Let's back up again to verse 15. I want you to see how the inside paneling of it, okay? Now, ladies, this isn't going to happen at your house. It's way too expensive. I know you've been wanting a new paint or flooring or crown molding. This isn't going to happen. I'm sorry. All right, verse 15, And he built the walls of the house within with boards of cedar, both the floor of the house and the walls of the ceiling, and he covered them on the inside with wood and covered the floor of the house with planks of fir. So what, he's, what it's saying there is really the whole thing is stone. It is, it is stone. It is solid. But it was paneled, right? Paneled with this type of wood, this fir and planks. And it was uh, the flooring, the side, the ceiling, and it was gold. But not only that, it had ornate carvings. It had ornate carvings on it, as it said, with uh, verse 18, with knops. It was probably gourds and open flowers. There was a few other, I think there was another description, uh, describes cherubims um, carved on there. So there was these ornate pictures on here, palm trees on there. So God likes beauty. He has it. It's, it's, it is obviously um, uh, luxurious looking, but it has beautiful uh, ornate details to it. Gold plated. This, was, this would also kind of help, not a lot, but it would help a little bit with a little sound reverb. Now, since everything's solid, it's, your, your sound's going to echo, but when you have surface, different surface areas, it, it kind of breaks up the way your sound waves bounce. Remember when we've emptied this room before? And we're all talking like, man, everybody's loud. We're not loud. It's just we don't have anything to absorb the sound. And so it helps absorb some sound a little bit when there's a texture or something to a wall. All right, so just, again, little points of wisdom from God's house. Look at this, verse 23. And within the oracle, he made two cherubims of olive tree, each ten cubits high. How tall is that? Ten cubits high. Egg. Fifteen feet tall. Guardians. Carved out guardians by the Ark of the Covenant, which already had cherubims on the lid of it. And we don't even know what they look like, you know. But they had these wings that spanned from one wall. Again, this is about how wide it was. The, whatever, how, these are 15-foot-tall cherubims, which are special angelic creatures that are considered to be the guardians of God's throne. Isaiah saw them. John saw them. And so maybe one would be like right here. Another would be maybe right here and 15 feet tall and their wing touched that wall and their wing went like that and touched the other one that's right here and they're like this. So that, you know, the high priest comes in, it's like, oh, that's really what, it, it symbolizes what's really in heaven, that there's special cherubims, angels about God's throne as Isaiah describes and John describes in Revelation. So, interesting. That's what's told to us. Um, there's talks about the door. We won't get into that. There's an inner court. And then it says he was seven years in building it. Verse 38. Then chapter 7, we're going to scoot, scoot along here. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 12 
It describes Solomon's palace, Solomon's house. Now, I'm not going to get into um, all of that right now, but it, he has a massive house. It's probably twice the size of this temple, um, probably even more than that, which, by the way, the temple is about 2,600 square feet, which was twice the size of the Old Testament tabernacle, which, while I'm saying that, let's just show you this. So this is a side view of this would be the Old Testament tabernacle, the tent, okay? There may have been another thing over it, but this is about what it looked like, this lower half of the screen. This is described in Exodus. This is the one they had to pull the tent stakes out, pull the stuff, wrap it up. This tribe or this group of, the, uh, of Aaron's family carries this. This group carries that. And they had to travel with this, stop, set it up. But this was the tabernacle, temporary. And then here's the one that's intended to be permanent. By the way, this is a reminder of us. We are in this earthly tabernacle. Paul talked about, we know that this earthly tabernacle of our dwelling is dissolved. We have a building of God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, that we're going to be clothed upon with. A more long-standing one. This is... Moses' tabernacle represents our earthly body. It's where it wears out. And we're moving about. Solomon's temple represents the new glorified body. Oh, yeah. That we'll get one day. This is certainly glorified compared to this, isn't it? So with you, I mean, right now we're all looking at each other's tents. Yeah, just a tent, you know. There's another word, temple, in the New Testament. We're called that. But, you know, in, in the idea of kind of a quality, <laughs> I'm just a tent, wearing out, but I'll have a fixed, glorious one one day. All right, so there it is. Um, but Solomon was building his house, and then chapter uh, eight, 7, verse 13, it describes, and again, we're not going to get into the details, I'll just give you a quick little survey of it. Chapter 7, verse 13, it says, and King Solomon sent and fetched Hiram out of Tyre. Now, wait a minute, I thought we already heard about a Hiram. I'm going to scoot forward a little bit. I thought we had heard about a Hiram. There was Hiram who was the king, and he's not the same as this Hiram, who's actually half Jewish and half uh, um, of, of, this, uh, of the, of the uh, Sidonian. So he, he gets this guy, Hiram. It says he was a widow's son of the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of Tyre, a worker in, in brass. Look at verse 14. His dad worked in brass, and he was filled with wisdom, and understanding and cunning to work in all works, uh, to work all works in brass. And he came to King Solomon and wrought all his work. By the way, hey boys, whatever your dad knows, try to know as well. Okay, whatever trade your dad has, even if it's an unofficial trade, uh, you know, he may do another certain regular job, but he knows some little skills. Try to pick up on it. It's a good opportunity. Whatever it is, welding, mechanics, construction. Try to pick up on it. This guy did. Hiram, I'm sure he's glad he learned from his dad because he gets to work for the richest man in the world. Huh. Yeah. Tyram, Hiram, excuse me, was part Jewish. So he's hired to do the brass work. The brass was primarily outside stuff. Okay? So we already described the, the size, the structure, the inside. We described the inside first, which is how God works, isn't it? And then we're describing outside stuff, which the rest of this chapter describes all the brass stuff. 
Brasses can take a lot of heat and it's strong and it was made to, um, uh, to in this case, part of the, the altar and hold water. All right, so look at verse 15. This is just interesting. Some of the Bible commentators are just like, okay. When they, there's not like a lot of comments about it. They're like, all right, he made these two pillars, verse 15. He cast two pillars, Hiram did, cast two pillars of brass, 18 cubits high apiece. How tall is that? 18 cubits high. What is it? Yes, 27 feet tall. So it was about as tall as from this end to that and maybe the edge of the, of the piano. Standing up. I don't know. Maybe it's as tall as this power pole we got out here. Two pillars of brass. I can't remember how wide it was. But these two, it looks like they're freestanding. I don't think it was like this from what I described. But anyways, two big old pillars standing up there. And he gives them names. Um, verse 21, he set up the pillars in the ports of the temple. He set up the right pillar, verse 21 says, and called the name thereof Jachin. It means he shall establish. All right. And he called the name of the left pillar. And he set up the left pillar and called the name Boaz. That means in it is strength. He shall establish in it is strength. I don't know exactly what's happening, but somehow as they're coming to the temple, they're being reminded of something of, uh, of good quality perhaps about God. He shall establish. In him is strength. That's what he did. And there's some ornate carvings about it, and they called it lily work and stuff at the top and carved pomegranates that were up there. Really high. That's interesting. These pillars stood up really high. Nobody, there was no thing where you can climb up there and look at it. He had to look at it from down like on the ground, but it was very detailed. And God had these workmen make sure that they made it, uh, that they crafted it well and right, even though only God could see it close. I mean, man can. But that's how he wanted it. So they did it. Two pillars of brass. And then look at this. Oh, this is this. Look at this. I'm going to go back to a picture here. That's a store. That was a storage room. That was what I was trying to find, show you earlier. Now we're going to see, I don't know why I'm pointing at that, this big old frijoles pot. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Not, not really. It was just, there was not, no heat under that. It was a big, look at verse 23. He made a molten sea, 10 cubits from, from one rim to the other. So how many feet is that, the diameter? 10 cubits, Josh, 15 feet across. Wow. So again, probably from here to there, a big old cereal bowl. I mean, it's not. It's a water bowl, big water thing. It was used for sacred things. They're washing some things, whatever, maybe uh, some of the bigger implements. And then it's on these carved uh, oxen. It talks about them, and I won't get into that. Twelve oxen sitting on them. Obviously, they had to have some kind of ladder or some kind of stairs that they went up to get in, into there. I think it was around 11,000 gallons, 11,500 gallons. That's a lot, a lot of water. That's what God's telling us. And then there's these really cool mobile water pots. Look what it says there, verse uh, 27. He made 10 bases of brass, and he tells the, tells the dimensions and everything about it. And basically, they were to... Very, very descriptive of it, uh, all the way through verse 37. But they could be moved around right here. 
You know, it's not like they said, hey, uh, Aaron, or whoever the priest said, go over there, go turn on the hose. No, 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 it's just, there's no hose. They had to have water in there. Perhaps they were getting it out of here. I'm not sure. And they're putting in that and they're rolling around. It was to wash their hands or to wash something else. Everything was constantly being cleaned. God wants his stuff clean, his house. And again, I'm just kind of to get ahead of ourselves. All of this really represents God's work on us as his temple. He wants things clean. He wants us clean and he works from the inside out. We'll get into some of that. All right, so there you go. We'll move along here. There was an altar there, a brazen altar, and it was large. Uh, let's, just, let's just move along here. Go to verse 46. Again, I'm just my purpose is to highlight, not to get every verse. Verse 46, it says, In the plain of Jordan did the king cast them, referring to all the uh, vessels, Again, I'll read it again, verse 46. In the plain of Jordan did the king cast them in the clay ground between Sukkoth and Zarthan. Clay ground. So my understanding is, you know, there's certain types of soil. I guess we got a lot of clay out here. And apparently this type of soil in this area was the best spot for them to make massive... Um, uh, Brass vessels, pillars, a big old, uh, the, the sea, the, 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 the molten sea, these other things. It's not like, well, let's, let's go, where's a factory? No, they just had to make a factory right there, start digging in the ground. So what they would do, my understanding, it seems like the most logical thing that's being inferred here is that they were actually digging out this ground and carving their, making their mold of the, the pillar or whatever or of the bowl, and they were doing it so that they could pour molten brass in there. That's my understanding, so that they could make it for the house of God. It talks about, uh, look at verse 48. Solomon made all the vessels that pertain to the house of the Lord, the altar of gold, the table of gold, whereon the sh upon the showbread was, and the candlestick of pure gold, five on the right side, Five on the left, before the oracle, with the flowers and the lamps and the tongs and the gold, verse 50, and the bowls and the snuffers and the basins and the spoons and the censers of pure gold, and the hinges of gold, both for the doors of the inner house and the most holy place for the doors of the house, to wit, the temple. You know, when I get a hinge, I just want a hinge that works. I mean, you got gold hinges. Verse 51, so was ended all the work that King Solomon made for the house of the Lord. And Solomon brought in the things which David his father dedicated, even the silver and the gold and the vessels. And he did put them, and did he put among the treasures of the house of the Lord. So here again, I just tried to give you, my purpose is to give us all visually and try to imagine the rest mentally, the description of this house. This was their kind of place where they worshiped. It was where they brought their offerings. The priests went into the, and so for us, and then we're going, to look at, we're going to look at him assembling, having a big old dedication ceremony. Okay, so what is this saying? What, what's kind of like a, a kind of a big takeaway we could take from this? Here's the thing. The thing is, is this. We can say, God is building me. God wants to build me. 
in similar ways. That's what we're going to focus on just for the, our last few minutes. So, if you read the New Testament, the emphasis in the Old Testament, it, there are spiritual emphasis, but a lot of it's the house of God, the house of God, that temple. In the New Testament, the church is the house of God, but also the person is the temple of God. And God wants to build us. He wants to build us. He wants to build us spiritually. So I'm going to look at a few scriptures. First of all, He wants to build us on Christ. Just like this was built on these massive um, stones, God wants to build us on, first of all, do I have faith in Jesus Christ? Am I trusting Jesus Christ? There's no reason getting into theology and reading all this stuff and educating yourself until you become a Christian and you're born again. You might as well start building a very expensive temple on sand. Oh, it looks good, but it's just gonna, it's going to eventually shift. First Jesus, then everything else in your faith. So the Bible says, quickly, we'll look at a couple of scriptures. I won't be able to look at all of them I have written. I'll at least refer to them. Ephesians 2.20. And even Paul referred to this other foundation, can no man build than that which is built, which is built, which is Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.20. Again, the point is God builds and he builds based on our faith in Jesus Christ. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. Now he can really develop something in us, in our character. We, in the middle of a sentence, are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth up unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom also ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. God builds us on our, based on faith in Jesus Christ. We have faith in Christ, and now He can develop us. Um, God is a builder. He builds us on Christ. God is a builder. God builds us from the inside out. Look at chapter 3, verse 16. Paul's praying for the Ephesians. He's talking about the inside of them, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye be enrooted in the comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and know the love of Christ. There's other scriptures like 2 Corinthians 4. Go to 2 Corinthians 4. We're talking about the how God works on our inside. The outward man perishes. Follow me, 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And then he says, verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He builds on the inside. God is interested in my inner character. My, my, you've heard me say this, you know, my countenance and my hair color and my tone of my skin and all that's just going to start going away. And if I have enough money, maybe I'll go to Scottsdale and get some plastic surgery. But even then, I'll look funny after a while. I'll look all you know, weird. Anyways, but there are some creepy things out there. Watch out. All right. Too much plastic. Don't play plastic surgery too much because it'll get creepy. All right. Look in Colossians 1 20, 29. Colossians 1 29. 
Paul is talking about his work for Jesus. He's working and he's ministering to the people of God. And he says, he labors, verse 29, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Did you know what Paul just said? Paul's saying in the whole, backing up in verse 28, he says, we preach and teach Jesus Christ, warn every man, teach every man in all wisdom that we may present every man in Christ. And again, I'll read verse 29 again. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Paul's basically saying, I can do well when God, I can work well when God's working well in me. When God's working in me, then I can work for him. When God's working through me, I can work through and to others. God wants to work on the inside. That's why it's interesting. You know, we get outside descriptions of the, of the temple, but what's the most precious part of the temple? The inner, inner, inner part. The holy of holies. And then the holy place. And that's, we basically, descriptions are describing the inside first. It goes to the outside. And that's how God's interest is in us. Inside out. You know, that's how we should be with others. I want to know what you're like on the inside. We Americans are very surface. That looks cool. All right, what it really is it though. We're very surface uh, orientated on people. First impressions say everything. You know, look, say everything. Muscle, dress, that says something. You know, I don't want a bad billboard for what I am. I don't want to look really, really creepy and have just disheveled all the time. That's a bad billboard for what it may be. I might be on the inside. But the outside's not everything. Inside character. We can just, just again, some examples. God's trying to build that. He wants to build us up in the faith. He wants to build us from the inside out. He builds us through His Word. Acts um, uh, 20, verse 32. Paul referred to that, of God building. He said to the, to the, uh, the elders here of the church as he's departing, he says, I commend you to God. Verse 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanct- which are sanctified. What builds up these guys? Paul's leaving. Paul had spent time with these Ephesian uh, elders. And he's doing this last meeting with them. They're going to be all crying before he leaves. Fall on his neck and give him a kiss and crying. But the last things he's saying, he said, guys, I just entrust you to God. God's, God's got you now. I'm, I'm leaving. And they weren't going to see him again. And he says, what I'm committing you to is I, I, I commit you to God and I commend you to the word of his grace. That can build you up. You're not going to have me to build you up. The word of his grace can build you up. God's Word builds us up. We've been talking about that on some Sunday mornings. All right? And then together, collectively, He wants to build us as a spiritual house. Look at 1 Peter 2. Collectively, now now I'm shifting the analogy that this analogy represents us as a church, not just as an individual. All right? 1 Peter 2. And look at verse... 4 and 5. 1 Peter 2, verse 4 and 5. Okay, he says, To whom coming to come Jesus as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones. We're not dead. We're stones, but we're alive. Are built up a spiritual house 
and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Christ Jesus. So this represents the individual Christian God wants to build, but it also represents the local church that God wants to build. Not that structurally we have to copy this, but spiritually there's a lesson of this that applies to us collectively. That again, God cares about what's among us, what's on the inside of us. And God wants us to be, according to Peter, a spiritual house. Build up. A, we're not just a carnal house. We're not just an entertainment house. We're, we're, we're to be a spiritual house to offer what? Uh, a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices. By the way, isn't that a blessing? As you think about the house of God and only the, the regular priests can go in there and then only the high priest could go in there. And yet for us... We have access to God. We, are been, we have been made priests and kings unto Him. And I can go right to God and connect with Him and communicate with Him just as um, intensely as Aaron did or the high priest did when they had to bring in blood once a year. I have that privilege. We all have that privilege. This represents us as a church that God wants to develop us on the inside, that, there should, that He wants to make us a spiritual house, and that we can offer up spiritual sacrifices to Him. So even in, this, even in our congregating, the nature of our congregating should be spiritual, and the nature of our worship should be spiritual. God wants to build. He's building us. Um, some people, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm for having good health and, building some muscles. It, it does help my back, actually, um, for building that and having a decent appearance. But we see that God wants to build character and Christ-like living. So I hope that's a blessing to you tonight as we take a look at Solomon's, the whole picture of Solomon's temple and the, the ornate nature of it. It was good for the Jews to see that, to look back on it. It's probably good for Israel to look back on it because they're going to build another one. They're going to try to build another temple. But it's good for us as Christians who know Christ as our Savior to look at and say, that represents a greater truth, that I'm His temple, and we're together as His temple, and He wants to magnify Himself through us individually and collectively.